It is Tuesday. Time for another awesome Army Navy Week podcast from your friends here at Sing Second Sports. I am John Schofield. Joining me is Ward Carroll, also our special guest, Bill Wagner, with uh, Chris Cervello working the board and doing Old Man Radio, as always. So let's start it off with like the breaking news um, that has an effect tangentially on the Army-Navy game. Uh, Wags, what is that news? Well, just came across uh, my email, into my email bin as we were sitting here uh, talking with John Feinstein was uh, that the Tulsa-Cincinnati game has been canceled due to uh, COVID issues. And that is big in that those teams have already uh, clinched first in the American Athletic Conference Championship. And this regular season meeting between the two schools would have determined which hosted the American Athletic Conference Championship. I believe that that will now be determined based off winning percentage, and I believe that will favor Cincinnati because they played more games than Tulsa. Tulsa, is uh, it's pretty remarkable. They, I think they've only played uh, seven or eight games this whole season. They've had so many canceled or post, you know, so Tulsa is in the game, but I, I have a feeling Cincinnati will host that, which – in a way, it's, it works out because it was going to be kind of silly for Tulsa Cincinnati to play in back-to-back weeks. That's actually what happened last week or last year, rather. Memphis and Cincinnati played in the final regular season game of the year, then turned around and played again in the AAC championship game. So maybe uh, fate worked out well this time and we only get one Tulsa Cincinnati game and it, it's for all the marbles. So yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on this. Um, obviously, the American Athletic Conference is making some tough decisions, and and Wags is going to be coming to you with the uh, the very very latest um, on that and what that possibly means um, going forward. You know, not just for Cincinnati, but for you know all the American Athletic Conference for that matter. Wags, you had a couple of other uh, features this week um, as part of your indefatigable coverage of Army Navy Week. What other stories and scoops are going to be out there this week? Well, appearing today, I already posted to the Capitol website a story about how Navy coaches and players welcome the opportunity to go up to West Point and beat Army on its home field. I, when it was first announced, I think there was some disappointment, um, maybe even some thoughts. This is not fair that we have to play Army on its home turf. But now they're taking the positive approach that it'll be historic and great when Navy beats Army on its home field. Uh, so that's posted. And then uh, Jackson Perkins feature, a great kid that I've gotten to know over the years. Uh, my colleague, Tim Schwartz, wrote a really good feature about Jackson and he's a Navy team captain, never imagined he would be so. And we got a lot of other great stories. Uh, Billy Honaker, the Navy offensive lineman has requested permission from the Forney family to wear number 68 in honor of David Forney. And it just so happens he's going to be playing David Forney's old position of left guard because Billy has switched from left tackle to left guard these days. And so that's a poignant story I'll have coming and we'll have some other senior features and uh, Catherine Fomenique from the Capitals working on a story about the Army Navy traditions and many of them may be falling by the wayside. We don't know if there's going to be a running of the ball 
all the way to West Point. We don't know if there's going to be a bonfire on campus. Um, some traditions are falling by the wayside. Others will remain. As far as game day, we have learned there will be a march on of midshipmen and Corps of Cadets. There will be a flyover. There will be leapfrogs parachuting into the stadium. So a lot of the game day festivities will continue. But some of the uh, ancillary traditions may fall by the wayside. Although the pranksters and Ward Carroll was the first to retweet. Uh, it looks like the uh, superintendent of the uh, West Point got his house decorated with uh, Go Navy, Beat Army. Wasn't that good, Ward? Yeah, that did my heart good to see that. Uh, you know, somebody's, you know, pranks are not waiting for the COVID environment. Uh, that's That really does give us a sense of normalcy. And we'll see what else that we can uh, conjure up in the days to follow. When I found out that's another tradition that will fall by the wayside, because I presume that that prank was performed by the Navy exchange students at West Point, but I'm told there are no exchange students this year at either institution, which I probably should have guessed. So I don't know who performed that prank, uh, good on them, but uh, there will be no prisoner exchange at the Army-Navy game, which is usually kind of a staple of pregame. Navy grads are everywhere, even <laughs> Highland Falls. <laughs> awesome uh, discussion here. We're going to head to break. When we come back, we have two great guests, John Feinstein and Admiral James Stavridis, class of 76. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Uh, great discussion here as we're leading up to the Army-Navy game. And who better to join us to discuss what I believe and what all of us believe is the greatest rivalry in sports than uh, author John Feinstein. I know John from you know my favorite book of his, A Civil War, the uh, the year inside Army Navy game, uh, which John called college football's purest rivalry. John is also the author of A Season on the Brink, A Good Walk Spoiled, and a great many other awesome books. But it's your knowledge of this rivalry, which is why we wanted to talk to you today, John. Thank you so much for joining us. And why don't you explain to the Sting Second crew what the rivalry means to you, why it's so important. You know, uh, John, I, I say to people this to people all the time. What makes Army Navy unique is not only the young men who play in the game, but those who watch the game from the stands. And this year, it will only be the Brigade of Midshipmen and only the Corps of Cadets. And the reason I feel that way is because of who they are. And I got to know many of them very well uh, when I did a Civil War, which hard to believe that was 25 years ago. And I'm still in close touch with quite a few of those guys uh, who were part of those part of that book. In fact, Andrew Thompson, who was Navy's defensive captain, and Jim Cantaloupe, who was Army's defensive captain, and I were in the process of planning a 25th anniversary reunion for the two teams, for the senior classes of the two teams uh, that we were going to hold this year in Philadelphia. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. So maybe we'll do it next year, which will be the 25th anniversary of the publication of the book. It's not just who they are, but what they go on to do when they graduate. Only a handful will ever play in the NFL, uh, a small handful, count on one hand probably. 
but most of them will go on to, you know, it's a cliche, but to serve and protect our country. A number of the guys I wrote about uh, in a civil war deployed. Uh, one of them, Kevin Norman, who was a punter uh, at Army, uh, died overseas. And since then, a number of Navy football players have died overseas, as we know. When you're at the game, and I, I've been to every game since 1995 when I did the book, I'd been to a couple before. But when you're at the game, and you know, we see the national anthem played all the time before every sporting event. But when you're at the game and they play the national anthem and you see 8,000 hands snap to salute position, cadets, midshipmen, you understand they've all volunteered, volunteered to die for our country if need be. Uh, if a chill doesn't go through you at that moment, then you're not really breathing. And of course, I've often said the greatest three, four minutes in sports for me is when they play the alma maters after the game, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, we were just talking about how special that is. Um, and all of us you know, love that moment. Uh, Bill Wagner, I'll kick it over to you for, uh, for your questions. Well, it's funny that John mentions Andy Thompson. I almost named my first child Thompson, and it's a kind of not a good story, but I had been assigned to write the senior feature for Andy Thompson. We uh, At the Capitol, we always did a week-long series of feature on the various seniors, and my assignment was Andy Thompson, and it was due the next day, and it turned out my wife went into labor, <laughs> and I had not completed the story, so I was bedside at Howard County General Hospital, and she's in labor, and I'm typing the Andy Thompson feature, trying to get it done, and she was so angry. She's just, I can't believe you're sitting there typing. So, uh, and then I well, said, well, well I wives are always angry with us when they're giving birth, so it, it didn't really matter if you were typing or not. <laughs> exactly. So, and it, I wasn't doing anything. Believe me, when it came time to do my job, I was there, but Anyway, I jokingly said I was doing a feature on Andy Thompson. Should we name the kid Thompson? And she's like, hell no. Yeah, I'm sure um, that went over well. Yeah. <laughs> it was great being with John on uh, courtside at the Navy GW game. It's always great to share some camaraderie and watch a game with a legend in the business I've chosen. John, I, my question is, you are kind of a very interesting perspective on this rivalry because you've been on the inside of both athletics departments. You were the color commentator for the Navy Radio Football Network. And then now you are writing commentary for the Army Athletics website. Your pieces are always exceptional. But that has kind of made you an insider at, at both Navy and Army. And I would imagine it brings a unique perspective to this, does it not? I think it does, Bill. I, I, I like to tell people that I believe I'm the only person who was not president of the United States at the time to have been in both the Army and Navy locker rooms during an Army-Navy game, which I did in 1995. Uh, and one of my favorite memories from that day is I walked up the tunnel. Army won that game 14-13. I know Navy people don't remember that day fondly, but I walked up the tunnel after the playing of the alma maters with Andrew Thompson and with Gary Patterson, who was the defensive backs coach. We were sort of pushing Andrew up the, the ramp because he was in tears. And we walked into the locker room and everybody had just taken a knee for Charlie Weatherby's prayer. And I was wearing neutral colors because I was on both sidelines during the game. And a security guard walked in behind, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, buddy, you got to get out of here. And before I could turn around and show him my all access passes, Andrew turned around. Andrew is 6'2", 215, and about as tough a guy as you'll ever meet. He was a Marine for 21 years. Turned around to the guy and said, he's with us. You get out. And I 
I, you know, having had the moments I've had with security guards around the world, I love that moment. But I think the fact, the, the thing that I have learned, you know, in a rivalry, you always want to say, our guys are better than their guys. Our school is better than their school. I like to point out to people that just about everybody who plays football for Navy could have played football for Army. I mean, often they recruit against one another. And just about everybody who plays football for Army could have played for Navy. And they are, they're also bonded by the fact that neither one of them likes Air Force. <laughs> but um, they, they're li- that's what I found, that they're, they're similar. They're smart. They're tough. Uh, they're loyal. Uh, I, when I went to Jim Cantaloupe's wedding, I sat with Andrew Thompson. Uh, and, and in fact, Cantaloupe came to Andrew, uh, Andrew and, and the other Navy seniors graduation cause army was done. So he and a couple of the other army players came down for Navy's graduation. And I still remember cause the Marines were getting into their uniforms in the football locker room. And we wanted to go and see, uh, Andrew, who was a Marine, as I mentioned, and there was a guard on the door and he looked at Cantaloupe. He said, are you members of the class of 1996? And Cantaloupe said, yes, we are, which he was. And so the guard let everybody in. But there is a bond um, between people from Army and Navy. They don't like to admit to it when they're competing with one another. But in real life, there's a bond. And, and I've always enjoyed uh, sort of being in the middle of that. Hey, John, so you're giving me advice on how to get to West Point. Um, I, I mm-hmm. didn't get around. We were interrupted by trying to cover the Navy GW game. But I Meant to ask, are you going to be in the press box this uh, Saturday? You know, I, I applied for a credential. I got a credential. I, I, my wife is really, really sensitive to the whole COVID thing right now. She's a school teacher, and they've had some issues at her school uh, with kids testing positive. Uh, she actually had to quarantine at one point for two weeks, even though she tested negative. And she asked me not to go. And when I thought about it, the fact is I can c- probably cover the game as well or better from right here because obviously the game will be in front of me on television. I can get into the same Zoom interviews the guys who do go uh, will be able to have. It's not like, you know, Bill, how much I like to go down on the sidelines, both before and during the game. Won't be able to do that. Won't be able to go in either locker room uh, to talk to guys one-on-one. So it really, you know, getting up at five in the morning to drive up there and and then getting home at one or two in the morning just doesn't make sense. It'll be the first game I've missed since 1994. And I'll hate missing it, but I'll certainly watch it and I will write about it for the Post. Well, that's a shame. That's our loss in the press box because there's nothing better than John Feinstein's running commentary during the game <laughs> and his little asides. Uh, I'll it, pass it, it along it's to my radio me. background, Bill. That's right, right. Uh, I'll pass it along to someone else because I'm going to go interview Roger Stahlbeck now. Tell Roger Staubach I said hello if you think about it. Hey, John, it's, it's Ward. Um, the last time you and I spoke um, was on the sidelines of the Houston game a few years ago. I was holding the down box, um, and you made a comment. It was the Air Force game, Ward. Was it the Air Force game? I think it was the what? Air Force game, yeah. Okay, because I remember you commenting about just how big a win that, that Houston game was when they were right. number six. Um, on that particular day. Um, but it's, it's, it's great to see you here on the Zoom. Um, I, I will also fanboy in that A Good Walk Spoiled remains one of my favorite uh, golf books. Um, and, uh, you know, the way you capture things both on air and in, in, uh, in writing is just unique and, and, and fantastic. So Thank you. Um, let, let me 
so in general, you could say that Army has been ascendant since Coach Monken's arrival, um, where Navy perhaps is, and obviously football is a year in and year out proposition um, based on, you know, acquisitions and losses. Um, but let's just say Navy has been uh, up and maintaining, down. yeah, maintaining what it's got while Army is getting better. Navy's trying to stay as good as they are, right? Um, so, can I ask you to compare and contrast Coach Niamatololo and Coach Monken? Well, they are very different people, even though they were on the same staff together um, for a while at Navy. Kenny is one of the most openly emotional people I, I've ever known. He he likes to describe himself sometimes as a big crybaby. And I've known him since I did Civil War when he was on the, on the staff uh, as an assistant coach in 1995. And I, I actually, I, I can be honest and say I treasure his friendship. We've known each other for years. I'll tell you a quick story that says a lot about who Ken is, besides being obviously a terrific football coach. That's a given. In 2009, I had open heart surgery. In, uh, in June 29th. And the first Navy game that season was at Ohio State. You might remember that really close game Navy played up there uh, in 2009. And before the game, I was down on the field uh, with my broadcast partners from the radio network. Um, Bob Sosi uh, and I were down there together. And we were walking back up the ramp towards the press box to do our pregame show. And here came Kenny with a couple of ESPN guys, because he was going down on the field to do a pregame interview. And when I saw, Ken had written me a note after the surgery, as, as many people had, but when he saw me, he, you know, me, how are you feeling? I felt fine. Um, and he said, come here, I want to talk to you for a minute. Okay. So we walk over away from where everybody else was, and he starts lecturing me. You listen to me. You have to take care of yourself. You have children. You have friends like me who need you. Sports needs you. You have got to watch your health. I'm telling you right now, you've got to do a better job with your health. And as he was speaking, one of the ESPN guys comes over and says, Coach, we need to get going. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen Ken angry. But when oh, yeah, gets, I have. Yeah, I definitely but you have. know, when he gets angry, he gets angry. I've seen him at very close often, But he yeah. whirled on this guy. And as you know, Kenny's a big guy. And he pointed his finger at him and he said, I'm talking to my friend right now. This is far more important. If you guys want to wait, I'm happy to do your interview. If you don't want to wait, that's fine, too. And the guy kind of put that. his hands up and backed away <laughs> right away. And, that. and that's who Ken is. And uh, Jeff Munkin, I'm not nearly as close to. Uh, haven't known him as long. I respect the heck out of him. I think he's done a tremendous job. The Army was bad for a long time before he got there. They made a terrible mistake uh, in, in uh, 1999 when they fired Bob Sutton who had been the national coach of the year in 1996 when they went 10 and two and who loved everything about army. He was an army guy, even though he wasn't a grad. And they hired this guy, Todd Berry, because the AD Rick Greenspan had worked with him at Illinois state. Todd Berry came in and said, we're going to recruit guys who run four, three forties. We're going to run five wides. We don't need to run the option. And the result was four years later, they were 0 and 13. And it, it took them a long time to climb out of that hole. And they didn't really climb out of it until Jeff Munkin got there. Obviously, he runs the option. He's recruited players who, who are perfect for that offense. He's brought a toughness to West Point. Uh, Rich Ellerson, who was the coach before him, was a wonderful guy. But his problem was he actually respected the cadets too much because he knew what they went through as cadets the same way we all know what midshipmen go through. 
and he would let them off the hook when they made mental errors. You know, oh, well, they, they've had a tough day. They're up at six in the morning, whatever it might be. You can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, the, 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 the smartest thing I think I ever heard somebody say about academy football was Fred Goldsmith, who was once an assistant at Air Force. And he said, the thing you have to understand about academy football is that at a civilian school, the toughest part of a football player's day is practice. At an academy, the easiest part of a football player's day is practice. But he has to come to practice with the attitude that the guy you're going to play Saturday doesn't care about any of that. And I don't think uh, Rich Ellerson understood that. Jeff Munkin does, perhaps because of his experience at Navy under Paul Johnson, but he gets it. And that's why Army has has been good really for the last five years after, as you said, um, or being terrible for really from 2000 to 2013, they had one winning season, seven and six. Uh, how do you feel? You mentioned Munkin and, and he runs the triple option just like Navy does. How do you feel about the triple option as, as a scheme for a top 20 team? Is, is there a future in the triple option? Obviously we're sucking at quarterback this year and you need a good quarterback to run the triple option. But, but are you bullish on the triple option? Yeah, there's a reason, by the way, that Jeff Munkin said that he was planning to go to Navy's graduation last year um, to, to make sure all the seniors graduated, particularly the quarterback. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yes, I am. And Paul Johnson always said to me that he thought you could run the triple option anywhere. And he had a good deal of success at Georgia Tech uh, and, and didn't win a national championship, but had a good deal of success there. I think. See, I think what the triple option does, it doesn't mean you can't pass the football. You can still pass the football. And Navy has good receivers this year. Unfortunately, they haven't had a quarterback who can get the ball down the field with any consistency. Um, but you can still pass the football. Uh, and I, what I love about the triple option, particularly for the academies, because you're often playing teams that are bigger, stronger, faster, deeper, uh, is that you can keep your defense off the field if you're effective with it. Uh, time of possession is so critical, and the triple option often gives you an advantage there. What's wrong with having that advantage at a non-academy? Uh, if if I were uh, if I'd been South Carolina, I'd, I'd have been. Now Kenny's not leaving Navy. We I think we know that now, and and I'm grateful for that. I'm glad he didn't go to Brigham Young. I'm glad he didn't go to Arizona. I'm gl glad he didn't go to Maryland. But but Jeff Munkin's uh, Jeff Munkin might be willing to leave Army for the right job. If I were South Carolina, Jeff Munkin would have been one of my first phone calls. Uh, and, you know, other schools that have openings, I, I would certainly consider a successful triple option coach. Hey, John, it's uh, Chris Cervello. Um, I had the great fortune of uh, being a plebe in 1995 as you were, um, you were at Navy putting the book together and uh, spent a lot of uh, Saturdays in the booth with uh, you and Bob Stosi. Um, Remember it well, you know, Chris. That yeah, that was one of my uh, my fondest memories of uh, of Saturday football games. Um, you know, probably one of the hardest things for an author is, I would think, is to write a definitive work um, and then kind of have to watch it age. Whether you know, I'm sure there's things that have aged really well, um, and maybe there are things that haven't aged well. Is there anything that you learned after? Um, writing a civil war that you wish was in the book, or anything that you put in the book that you have, you know, uh, want to point out to people that maybe they might have missed when it first was released. Well, to answer your first question, I, I don't think so, Chris. I, I think uh, I again, I was lucky in that 
both coaches, Charlie Weatherby and uh, Bob Sutton, uh, and in the case of Charlie, with great encouragement from Jack Langle, who was the AD, and Tom Bates, who was the SID, because Charlie was a first-year coach and, and did, you know, basically walked right into my request that spring uh, for co- total access. And, and it was to his credit uh, that, uh, in my mind, that he ultimately gave me the access he did, even though some of his assistants said he shouldn't do it. Gary Patterson told me flat out the first trip to SMU, just so you know, I, 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 I was against this. I, I wouldn't have given you the access. And I said, well, that's fine. I understand. And Gary and I ended up becoming very good friends and still are. Um, but because I had the access, I did. I mean, I was in the barracks at, at Army. I was on the hall at Navy. I ate with the players uh, in, in, in both places. Uh, I traveled with them. I was in the locker rooms. I was at practice. Um, nobody, neither coach ever said, back off. And the, the players, they were just great. They, they were completely honest with me. Uh, nobody sat there and tried to feed. You know, I still remember um, uh, um, Mark Hammond, who was a, a defensive end, uh, telling me about the, the name they had for the hill uh, that you, when you come in from the backside to, to the academy, uh, the, the nickname that, that all the midshipmen had for the hill. I won't repeat it here um, because this is a family podcast. But the guys were just really open and honest. So I, you know, as the years have gone by, it's amazing to me, actually, that every year, Army-Navy week, uh, book sales for, for a Civil War, which is now 24 years old, spike. And because and of all, you know, people talk about Army-Navy. I'm asked to go on various shows like this one. Um, and uh, the book has a nice little spike every year. And I get notes from people still saying, wow, I really love the book. So I think it's aged pretty well. And, and I think the reason it's aged pretty well, Chris, is the kids who are playing in the game this year aren't very different than the kids who played in the game 25 years ago. They're, they're still the same people. They're still, they still have the same toughness and loyalty and smarts that I mentioned before. Um, as for uh, things that I, I would point out to people, I'm not sure that there's anything in particular um, that I would, I would say. I would just... I would just say appreciate who these guys are because every one of them is special. I, I, I wear a lot of gear from both schools because I've been given it by people over the years. And when somebody says to me, hey, do you go to Navy? Do you go to Army? I go, are you kidding me? There's no way I would have lasted 15 minutes. John, I'll take us out here. Um, I was incredibly moved uh, when I first read A Civil War. And then uh, later on, I read The Last Amateurs, which became – uh, kind of my second favorite book of yours, you know, and I know our good friend Mike Heary, um, you know, would have hoped that that book would have been written like two years before that. So yeah, Mike and I have discussed that frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, the the greatest three point shot in Navy history could have been better. Uh, and better Mike chronicle. only shot when he had the ball in his hands. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's still the case, still the case. So um, I'll, I'll tell you what, from my perspective, I really really appreciate what you've done, um, you know, as a journalist, as an author, but as a supporter of Army and Navy, um, you know, this week is is incredibly important to us, as I know it's important to you. So thank you for making time and enjoy watching the game from home on Saturday. Yeah, it'll be weird. Um, yeah. And of course, it's been a weird year all the way around, but it'll be weird not being at the game. I think everybody who goes to the game has their own traditions throughout the day. And my traditions 
are always to get there very early, to go down on the sideline before the march on start, um, be there, be down there for the march on, sit around with my friends uh, before kickoff, and then always go down to the sideline for the fourth quarter uh, because you got to feel it. And, and almost during that 14 game Navy winning streak, there were some fourth quarters that didn't matter. But most of the time, the fourth quarter decides didn't last year. I remember Kenny saying to me right after the game, we needed to win it this way to get our dominance back. He didn't want to just win. He wanted to dominate. And they did 30 to seven. Uh, but so it'll, it'll, it'll be strange for me to watch, but I know I'll be emotional. And, you know, my, my, other tradition is to be on downstairs, play the alma maters. And my wife, the only football game my wife ever watches is the Army Navy game because she knows what it means to me. And to just illustrate what a jock she is, the first time I took her to the game when we were dating, she said to me, So what sport are they playing tomorrow? So <laughs> not exactly a jock. If I'd said baseball, she would have believed me. But um, she will always text me as the alma maters are ending and she will say, she will write, are you crying yet? <laughs> and the answer is always yes. And I will, I imagine that even sitting here, when I watch the alma maters, I'll probably cry Saturday because I always do. Absolutely. As, as do I, I've, I've always sung both of them as I know the words to both and, and they both uh, well me up with tears for sure. I'll tell you so. a really quick story. I know you guys got to go, but I'll tell you this real no, quick. Please. Um, the, when, when Army finally broke the streak, uh, the 14-game winning streak, and uh, I guess it was 2016, uh, I was standing during the playing of the Navy alma mater uh, next to Scott Swanson, who's been the Army strength coach for 25 years, a great man. And Cam Camden Harrison, who was a freshman, so no, this was 2017, Camden Harrison was standing right in front of us, and it was the snow game. So it was 2017 and he's wearing a woolen cap to keep his ears warm. And as the Navy alma mater started, Scott reached out and pointed and Cam turned around and he pointed at the cat at the wool cap. He didn't have to say anything, he just pointed at it. And Cam Harrison whipped it off because he understood that, you know, you take your cover off when the alma maters are being played, regardless of which schools. That's Army Navy right there. It's a, it's a perfect, yeah, perfect descriptor. So um, thank you so much, uh, John. We really appreciate you making time and, and we look forward to having you back on the pod as we hopefully get into a more traditional March Madness uh, going forward. We can talk about, you know, Navy basketball, Maryland basketball, even Duke basketball. We'll make a, we'll make a special exception this year. I don't need to talk Duke basketball. I'm happy to talk <laughs> Navy basketball. Uh, I'm glad they're off to such a great start. I think they've got a very solid team. I'm sorry to see they've had to pause as has happened to so many teams, but uh, this could be Ed DeCellis' best team. So let, let's hope they get to play again real soon. Let's hope so. All right. Thank you so much, John. Uh, we're going to head to break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, class of 1976 Naval Academy alumnus, Admiral Jim Stavridis. So stick with You're us. You're listening to Sing, Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at We Sing Second. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back. Awesome conversation uh, there with John Feinstein. 
um, you know, the author of many books. And speaking of people who have written a lot of books, uh, we are very happy to be joined by Admiral Jim Stavridis, uh, class of 1976, distinguished graduate at the Naval Academy, career surface warfare officer. Uh, that is a shout out to you, Ward. The SWO in me is very happy to be talking to the Admiral today. He has served at sea on aircraft carriers, cruisers, destroyers, had command of Valley Forge, Barry, and retired as SAC Year in 2013 as a four-star admiral and the author of many books um, across the spectrum of leadership. In fact, um, a, a newer book that I'd like to ask the uh, admiral about after we talk about Army and Navy. So, Admiral, thank you so much for making time with us. And why don't you tell our uh, our listeners exactly what the Army Navy uh, rivalry means to you? Um, well, when I was a plebe, it meant one thing to me, and that was carry on, which meant that if you won the Army-Navy game, the plebes could carry on, which means that a lot of the horrible things that happened to you would be relaxed uh, from that point forward. Uh, because my life is under an unlucky star, we lost the Army-Navy game my plebe year, and then promptly won the next three years, of course. So, I got no benefit out of it, and all of the other classes uh, behind me got plenty of benefit out of it. So um, in seriousness, as, as we always say about the Army-Navy game, it's the only time you put uh, two teams that every other day of the year, the Army and the Navy work together in combat around the world. But for that day, it is... You were talking about John Feinstein a minute ago. It is a civil war, which is the title of one of his books about the Army-Navy game. So it's a moment that transcends um, the rivalries, but brings us together for this one moment when we can showcase athleticism between the two services. Another quick one from me, sir, before I hand it over to, to Ward. So you, you bring up you know, that one day and that one you know, special moment. And, and what the game means to, to people, you know, particularly deployed. And you've spent a majority of your career in uniform, uh, if not deployed on ship, then overseas uh, in various levels of command. W what's your perspective on what that means for the deployed sailor, for the deployed airman, for the deployed soldier, um, you know, for, for, that, for that moment? And what are, what's your most unique uh, watching experience for the game in your deployed years? Um, that would be as the strike group commander on board USS Enterprise uh, when we were, for the first time, starting to be able to get those kind of games out at sea. And we were conducting combat operations in the Arabian Gulf and were able, nonetheless, to watch the Army-Navy game. And we gathered up all the Naval Academy graduates and I had my, uh, you know, my in-star letter sweater from the Naval Academy, uh, along with a lot of other folks. And we had a wonderful time in the wardroom drinking non-alcoholic beer uh, while we watched the game. So it, it was a great watching experience to watch in the middle of conducting combat operations. But it was a terrible uh, drinking experience because we only had non-alcoholic beer. So it was kind of a mixed bag. Well, I'm good to see you. I should probably tell the audience that uh, I've known the Admiral since the early 90s. Um, he's a mentor of mine. We both share a Svengali in the form of the legendary editor of Proceedings Magazine, Fred Rainbow. Um, I met Admiral Stavridis. I, I want to say, sir, you were a, a lieutenant commander when I met you um, in Preble Hall. 
which was the old headquarters of the Naval Institute where I work and the Admiral is Chairman Emeritus. Uh, so I've known him a long time, huge fan. And I think uh, that these days, uh, as he's been a, a sort of an on-air military expert, his tenor has been you know, more than just newsworthy. It's been a calming uh, element. Uh, so, sir, just I'll, I'll tell you in a public forum, thank you for that. Um, so, as a graybeard, we know that admirals never really retire, especially four-star admirals. Um, have you shared any thoughts with the soup or the brain trust or fellow uh, trustees of the Alumni Association or anything like that with uh, what is going on in the COVID environment? What are your concerns uh, as you see how we've managed at best uh, with what the experience is for these mids uh, before they get commissioned and go on to the fleet? Well, I know this is a, uh, a podcast that is uh, just voices, but Ward, I'm actually looking at you because we're doing it over uh, over Zoom, and the only gray beard I see is yours. Uh, your beard is completely gray, and you actually have a beard. Uh, oh, I love it. It's the light. It's the light. It's not gray, really. It's oh, the sunlight. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, I am, first of all, like, like every Academy grad, I follow deeply what's going on at the school. And in terms of COVID, it's interesting to note that in January of this year, just before COVID broke out, I gave my, can't believe I'm about to say this, I gave my fourth Forrestal lecture at the Naval Academy in January. And I talked about, as I often do, about leadership with a special focus on resilience. And I think that's what we need to focus ourselves on at this point in time, Ward, is being resilient. And that means being strategically resilient as a nation, but it also means being tactically resilient individually as we work through these challenges. So I've been in touch uh, loosely with the soup, uh, Sean Buck, who has uh, been part of my team on a couple of different occasions. He's a superb choice for the Academy. And I think the Academy has done a marvelous job working its way through all of this. Um, and I think that as we send the, uh, the brigade uh, home after after the ball game and 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 then let them kind of reconstitute and come back. Um, they'll be coming back just as the vaccine is really being delivered nationally. So this is resilience with I think a positive outcome awaiting us. Good life lesson, and I think it's being well handled at U.S. Naval Academy. Yes, sir. Thank you. Admiral, again, hello. Um, prior to the podcast, I uh, ha had an opportunity to watch you on MSNBC, and then I, I heard you on a uh, different radio, couple radio hits as you were talking about um, the expected nomination of uh, General Austin to be Secretary of Defense. One of the big things that we talk about on this podcast is the effect that the physical mission uh, has in addition to the moral and the mental, but uh, the physical mission of this, of service academies on not just success at the academy, but success in, in life. So it was great to hear you talking about, you know, while, while not a, while not a Navy grad, a, a West Point grad, can you talk about, you know, your view of the physical mission and how it's, uh, you know, the effect that it's had on you and either mentees or, you know, uh, comrades like uh, General Austin and other service academy folks that you've uh, you've worked with? I can. Uh, first of all, I'm a big believer in physical fitness 
um, not just because it's part of the mission of the Naval Academy. I, I think physical fitness gets to our energy level in life. And the more fit we are, the more energy we're gonna have to devote to our tasks. Secondly, it's about the longevity in our lives. And um, physical fitness, uh, again and again and again, has been proven to show that um, there is a payoff in terms of length of life. So you've got both a quality and a quantity payout for that fitness. And then third, kind of to your point about the academies in particular, being on these teams. And, and whether you're an all-American football player or like I was uh, on a nationally ranked squash team or tennis team, or you're playing, you know, battalion soccer badly, it, it, it's not about the, the quality of your athletic performance. It's about your engagement with your classmates, with your opponents. And, you know, see paragraph one where we started this conversation about the importance of the Army-Navy game. It's, it's, it's an, a very evident form of teamwork, of camaraderie, of pulling together. Boy, those are huge life lessons. So bottom line, physical fitness gives you better quality in your life, probably a lot more quantity in your life, and it, it, it builds an ethos that will help you succeed um, both on the competitive side and on the teamwork side, Chris. Last question, and then before, before Wags takes us out, where will you be watching the game? Are you down in Florida? Um, I, are you going to watch it down there? Uh, everybody is talking about how it'll be much more low-key uh, given the virus, but uh, what are your plans for watching the game? Um, to be in my home with my beautiful wife, Laura, and unlike previous years where I'm surrounded by cheering classmates and fellow academy grads and um It'll be a very quiet time, but I assure you the spirit will be the same. I'll be wearing my tattered old letter sweater that uh, actually survived 9-11 in the Pentagon. It was hanging on the back of my chair. When I went back to my burned out office, the only thing left was that letter sweater because the chair had been smashed up against the wall and there was no oxygen back there. So that N and those three stars are pretty precious. Those will be in the room with me. I'll be watching that game and sharing my heart out. Yes. Hi, Admiral. It's an honor to be on here with you. Um, I uh, have been the Navy beat writer for a long time now, and I received dozens of emails all the time from Navy fans, Navy alumni, and some of them come from admirals. Uh, Admirals are used to getting answers and they go directly to the source to get answers. So I, Hear from a lot of admirals. I won't mention any, Ed Straw, uh, but uh, I have not heard from you. So I, 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 I'm glad that you you keep your fandom in check. But maybe that's kind of the question I'm asking is that every Navy grad is a fan of Navy football and loves it and lives and breathes it. Can you kind of just talk about even if you've reached the highest level of service, Admiral, uh, you still are at the heart the same as every other alum in your love for your alma mater and its athletic endeavors? Uh, I absolutely am. And, you know, um, a highlight I would mention, by the way, is after my plebe year, when we managed to lose the game, the following year, my youngster year, when I wasn't going to get carry on, was the year that we beat Army 51 to nothing. Um, 
I suspect we'll never have another game like that. To be in the stands on that day in Philadelphia in that freezing cold old stadium with 100,000 people in it was pretty amazing. So that was a young 18-year-old youngster at the Naval Academy, midshipman, third class Stavridis. And you can drop a plumb line to Admiral Stavridis, Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, uh, some 35 years later in Mons, Belgium, watching that game. And I got to tell you, the feelings are just the same. And, and part of it, Wags, is all the things we've talked about on this podcast. But one other thing I think is important is that every time you flip that game on, suddenly you're a midshipman again. You're young and your whole life is ahead of you. That's a pretty neat moment for somebody in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. You flip on that game, you watch those mids and those cadets march onto the field and you're with them. You're 18 years old again. Boy, how important is that? That's part of loving the game. That's part of loving the academy. Well, I just got done doing an interview with Roger Stallback and he said two of the greatest moments of his life are the 1962 and 63 Army-Navy games that he was fortunate enough to lead Navy to victory. But he said one of his greatest disappointments is the 64 game as a senior when Rolly Stitchway and the Army squad beat Navy and Rogers still to this day. That's a major disappointment in his life. Uh, two last questions for me to, to send it out. Number one, you mentioned wearing your Navy letter sweaters. Tell us about that experience. And last but not least, what do you think Navy can get done in this game. We've watched Navy struggle. We've talked about it on this podcast ad nauseum about the Navy offensive struggles. So uh, maybe close us out by talking about your varsity athletics experience at the Academy and then what you think will happen in this Army-Navy game upcoming. My own experience is probably the other end of the athletic spectrum from football. Um, So I'm a racket sport guy and I went to the Academy, uh, was on the uh, varsity squash team in those years, as you may recall, you could only play varsity as a sophomore, junior, senior. So I played three years varsity squash. We were ranked number five in the country. Uh, I played at peak number two on that team. And so that was, um, pretty high end intercollegiate sports. Um, I was also a very much a journeyman varsity tennis player kind of hanging hanging around on the cusp uh, right at the bottom of the varsity squad, gotten a couple of matches, but, um, you know, managed at the end of the day to put uh, three end stars on the board between the two sports and uh, very proud of my time, especially on the squash team. In terms of the football game, I have no idea, but I'll tell you what, whenever people ask me and I get asked every year, hey, can you predict the outcome of the football game? I always say, Oh, I already know it's going to be 51 to nothing, just like my youngster year. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't presume to match football knowledge with you for one second, Wags. Um, you know how the game's going to come out a lot better than I do. But I will say this. Um, Navy doesn't have a strong record. Army has a big record. You never know in this game. I'm predicting 51 to nothing. Well, Admiral, I I thank you for joining us. And as we go out, um, I mentioned that you are, in fact, like John Feinstein, a prolific writer. 
Um, if you can tell us a little bit about what Sailing True North, uh, which was the book that came out last year, what that voyage of character is, and then what book you uh, possibly have coming on the horizon that we can look forward to. Love to. Um, Sailing True North, 10 Admirals and the Voyage of Character is a book about what the difference is between leadership and character. And they are two very different things. And I try and frame the story by using the lives of 10 illustrious admirals over 2,500 years, going back to the ancient Greeks, Themistocles at the Battle of Thalamus, coming all the way forward to Grace Hopper, uh, the great computer admiral of the 20th century. So 10 admirals and the Voyage of Character is a subtitle, Sailing True North. It's a book about character. I'm very, very happy with it. It hit number 10 on the national Amazon combined fiction, nonfiction list. So it did well. My next book comes out in March and it is called 2034, like the year. It's my 10th book and it's my first novel. And the subtitle of 2034 is 2034, a novel of the next world war. It's about what a war with China would look like. And it's a cautionary tale. It's, it's designed to make us think how terrible it would be if we stumbled into an actual conflict with China. It's in that sense, it, it draws back to Cold War literature, like the Bedford incident, On the Beach, Dr. Strangelove. It's a, it's a novel designed to send a warning signal and uh, comes out in March 1st novel, 2034. So there's a couple of books um, and I am looking forward to the football game um, and lastly, for Secretary of Defense designate Lloyd Austin, class of 75 from West Point, I got four words, go Navy, beat Army. That's a perfect way to end. Admiral Stavridis, thank you so much for uh, joining the Sing Second Sports Podcast. We're going to head to break when we come out. Uh, Wags, Ward, and I will uh, take this Tuesday edition of the podcast out uh, with some latest news and some last discussion. So stick with us. We'll be right back. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. All right, we're back. So good talking to Amro Stavridis. Uh, I love how he was pumping the tires on, on WAGs with... Uh, yeah, with Wags's encyclopedic knowledge of football, um, which he has. So as we take it out, uh, here we are on Tuesday. We've been talking about the pranks. We've been talking about what's going on. Um, you know, we talked to Rylan about his uh, about his spirit spots. Chris, I'll I'll ask you. You know, what are you hoping to see as we go forward? For for me, like I'm always looking forward to the CBS like intro at the beginning of the game. Other than than crying during the alma maters after the game, I love the CBS intro. But uh, what else are you looking for in terms of coverage of the game this week? Honestly, I'm just looking forward to um, the game itself. What I have found is even in the I think we've been to three games at Navy Marine Corps. For those three hours, um, and, and this may sound cliche, but oh, oh well, um, for those three hours, you sort of just get to focus on football. You know, I haven't really watched a ton of NFL football, but 
I've really enjoyed uh, just given everything that's going on. I've really enjoyed watching Navy play, even when they haven't played as, as well as we would have liked. So for me, in addition to all the cool people that we'll get to talk to throughout the week, um, I'm just really looking to for those three hours of football and, and I don't care what's going on. Like it's army Navy and and that's all that matters. Ward, have you settled on uh, what your watch party is going to look like there in in the uh, West Annapolis region? So I'm in the Homewood region. We have not settled on what's happening. You know, I've got my social circle that is COVID protocol compliant. Um, So we haven't figured that out. In fact, uh, Mrs. Carroll and I were discussing that just this very morning. So I don't know. But uh, whatever option, there'll be cigars and scotch and uh, widescreen high-def TVs, and we'll be there for the duration. So uh, that's a good problem to have. I really enjoyed the two guests on this show because of the contrast between the two of them. And together, they sort of capture the essence of Army-Navy. Obviously, there are a few raconteurs like John Feinstein, um, and he's always he's got cool sea stories at his fingertips. When you name you know a, a date, a, a person, a offensive scheme, he, he's he's really fantastic. I love listening to him. So I thought that was a great session. And then, as I mentioned, when we were talking to Admiral Stavridis, I've known him for a long time. Um, I love the humanity that uh, he always makes as part of anything he's explaining. And so one quote jumped out at me, and I think this is poetic. He said, when you flip on the game, your whole life is in front of you again. And that just forges it for me. You know, that's why uh, we, we weep at the sound of Navy blue and gold. Um, that, that's, that's why the uh, visual of the brigade in the stands or storming the field or doing the march on is so meaningful year after year. I, I thought that really nailed it. And so regardless of the outcome, uh, this is a, uh, uh, an event that, that has a great import and is not to be missed. Yeah, not to get too uh, emotional here, but you know, for me, the Army-Navy game has always been the classic example of what my father always told me, that you learn more out of your failures than you do out of your successes. And so for me, for the first couple of years after I was removed from West Point, you know, I'd see the Army-Navy game and it always filled me with this feeling of regret or failure, like, hey, I couldn't hack it there. And, and as I went through my naval career um, and then eventually attended three Army-Navy games on the sidelines with Slapshot standing down there and, and just watching all of the character and all of the effort and everything that we've talked about on this pod, it, it now fills me with such a feeling of of pride, having been a part of it. Um, so, so for me, it's always a very weird uh, emotional nexus uh, that we arrive at. Um, you know, which is a reminder of failures and successes, but all in all, a great time for for camaraderie and collegiality that we can all be together and and celebrate, albeit this this year from Zoom um, or or maybe in a in a outdoor socially distanced. Uh, uh, venue. We're still working on that from the Cervello and Schofield end. So um, really excited to uh, to tell you as we go out, we can tell you now tomorrow on the Wednesday edition of the pod, we will bring you a interview at the same time between Admiral Slapshot Carter and Lieutenant General retired Bob Caslin, both of whom were the, the, the superintendents at West Point and the Naval Academy at the same time. And now they are both presidents at other universities, Caslin at South Carolina and Admiral Carter at Nebraska. 
So we'll bring you that. We'll bring you the uh, point of view of the Naval Academy Alumni Association with Craig Washington, class of 89, and also our very favorite unsat mid. So uh, come back and listen to us tomorrow. We can't wait. Wags, take us out. What are your parting shots? Enjoying the week. It's always a fun week. And these interviews we're doing make it even more uh, fun. I, I mean, this is great. Uh, all these different people coming on and talking about such a great game, what what has been called America's game. Uh, I'm always exhausted by the end of this week. I need to take a vacation the following week, uh, but uh, I enjoy it while we're in it. It's exciting. And we will continue to bring you the excitement. So stick with us. Um, come on back tomorrow. Look for uh, this pod on all of your uh, podcast surfing stations like SoundCloud or Spotify or Apple Podcasts for that matter. Um, thanks again to Chris Cerbello for all the hard work in uh, editing and making us all sound great, despite the fact that we have bad Wi-Fi sometimes. So uh, for Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner and Chris Cervello, I am John Schofield. Until tomorrow, beat Army. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.